You're listening to Inside DOI, a podcast dedicated to exposing municipal corruption. Produced at the Department of Investigation, the Independent Inspector General for New York City. Established in 1873, we are one of the oldest law enforcement agencies in the country. These podcasts will provide a glimpse into some of the investigations conducted by DOI and the corruption challenges New York City faces. Whenever you're going to be spending the kinds of money that we're talking about here, you want to have integrity monitors in place to make sure that the money ends up where it should. A contract or a construction project where there's massive amount of city dollars that are going to be spent, we are doing monitorships. Having the integrity monitors to look at contractor integrity has been really helpful to us. This program is well fitted for any corruption organization that values the prevention work and the proactive methods to overcome public abuse and waste. In the mid-1990s, DOI created an integrity monitorship program that gives the city a way to enter into or continue contracts with companies that might otherwise be excluded from doing business with the city due to integrity issues. Under the integrity monitorship program, these companies may be awarded city contracts if they agree to be monitored by an outside, independent agent that reports to DOI. DOI also engages in proactive monitorships for vendors and companies working on city projects, most notably on large-scale construction projects, such as in the cleanup at Ground Zero, building the Croton Water Filtration Project, and overseeing rebuilding efforts after Hurricane Sandy. I'm Chris Burke, and to discuss more about DOI's Integrity Monitorship Program, we have... My name is Mike Carroll. I am the Deputy Commissioner for Investigations at the Department of Investigations. Essentially, I oversee 10 squads at DOI that conduct our investigations throughout New York City. I am Taya Duckworth. I'm the Inspector General at DOI, and I oversee the Vendor Integrity Unit and the Citywide Monitorship Program. Historically, many of the monitorships targeted companies that had some issues in their past, and when they came forward to get a contract, or perhaps they were even on an active contract, an issue surfaced, and the city had to make a decision how to deal with that contractor. Do we allow them to continue to do business? Do we award them a new contract? With these facts you know, surrounding the company, they may have a criminal past, maybe a principal in a company was arrested, or they may have a checkered safety history, and the city is weighing you know, whether that's something that should bar them from doing business on a particular job. Sometimes it's determined that you know, with an integrity monitor, it is in the best interest of the city to allow this company to go forward. So in an example, if someone is a, a company where there was an arrest uh, of an employee that, you know, we feel is significant enough as a city that that company has to be monitored, we will hire an integrity monitor who will be assigned to uh, monitor that company or that firm for the duration um, of a contract or for a set period of time while they're working with the city. DOI maintains a database of 
private companies that are able to provide these services. And typically, they are big accounting firms, consulting firms, investigative firms, or even small kind of mom and pop shops of retired FBI or detectives who are now doing this work. We have the capability, um, depending on the size of the project, to assign the appropriate firm to that company based on the programmatic need. We ask for integrity monitors to provide their areas of expertise, whether it's procurement, auditing, construction, IT-related services, transportation. Maybe they have engineers, they have auditors, maybe they have a strong background in organized crime, maybe they're uh, very strong in you know construction safety, but they check all these boxes, and then when we have a firm that needs to be monitored or a company, we look to see who hits those boxes, and then all those companies, you know, they'll be considered for that monitorship, but it's very random after that. It's a computer program that will literally generate six names for us because these six companies hit those categories. And then after those companies are selected, uh, then they submit written proposals and they come in, they meet with us. We sit down across the table from them to hear what their game plan would be. But it's very much a computer-generated random process that gets you into that pool of six to start the process off. Our goal is really to have a competitive bid process. We want to have a wide pool of firms providing these services to us and not the same companies coming up each time trying to bid on the projects. So we do outreach every year in various journals to try to get more companies to sign up to the program so that we have a diversity of firms providing these services to DOI. What's important when a monitorship starts they're monitors. They're from private firms and companies. But, you know, as Tay and her team will do, when they first start in those first few months, DOI folks are out on the ground with them. You know, we want to establish a presence on the site that when they see a DOI monitor, it's no different than seeing DOI. So we reinforce that message by being out with them in the beginning, making sure the right connections are made, um, and making sure people know when the monitor is at a site, they're speaking for DOI. I think over time, and particularly more recently, we're doing more proactive monitorship. From past monitorships that we've done, the value of those monitorships you know, has, has proven to be very positive, and a lot of agencies have asked DOI to proactively monitor jobs. So a contract or a construction project where there's a massive amount of city dollars that are going to be spent, we are doing monitorships where there's no bad actor, there's no bad company. The city just made a decision that's in the best interest to put extra resources on a job to ensure that the services are delivered properly, the money is spent properly. The Croton Filtration Plant up in the Bronx, it was a massive project it was federally required of DEP to filter uh, some of the water system coming from upstate. So they had to build this tremendous plant. As you can imagine, nobody wanted it in their neighborhood. But it was decided that it was going to go in the Bronx in Van Cortland Park. And the plant literally was to be built underground. On top of it would be grass. There would be a golf range over it. It was a billion-dollar project. I think when all was said and done, it was two and a half or three and a half billion dollars. So there was a lot of tax money that was going to be spent um, and a lot of contractors, a lot of non-city employees working on the site. I think, you know, when it was up and running, there were well over a thousand construction type workers on site and dozens of companies. And that was really my first 
long-term endeavor into a proactive monitorship and seeing how it worked. That was a 10-year monitorship. And, you know, I think Taya will tell you as well, it was extremely successful. We made lots of criminal cases out of that monitorship. We had a wide variety of experts as part of the monitorship. We had uh, your investigator cop types. We had your auditors. We had your engineers. We were on the ground every day for 10 years, and it was, in my opinion, extremely successful. The monitors were present on site daily, um, and that allowed us to have a clear eyes and ears in the field to be able to really uh, determine what the issues were, looking at contractors, um, delivering materials, checking the quality of materials, checking to see if, you know, the contractors on site were actually doing what they're supposed to do. There were any safety concerns. We were able to spot them in real time and really be able to attack the issues. And so even though the monitorship was a 10-year-long period, it was very successful day in, day out. Sometimes things are gray um, and decisions have to be made as far as integrity. What, you know, what's the right thing to do and what's ethical and what is not. I think very often with these monitorships, um, when they first start, they're definitely met with a bit of resistance from the contractors that are on the sites that we're monitoring. Nobody likes to be looked at and have someone looking over their shoulder. So initially, that's the way they're met. And people, even on the proactive ones where uh, no company has done anything wrong, but we're there just to really watch the city taxpayer dollar. A good monitorship, in our opinion, and this is the way most of ours will play out. In the beginning, if there's a little resistance, they don't know who we are, they're a little closed, they don't want to share too much. I think as time goes on and they realize what our role is, and it really is just to protect the city taxpayer dollar to make sure people are safe on the site, that they get a little more comfortable. And then when areas like that pop up that's gray and they're not too sure if it's the right thing to do or not, well, let's just walk down the hallway and ask DOI. Let's go ask the monitor. It makes life easy for them. Yeah, even city agencies used to resist kind of DOI's presence on their projects with concern that they may be other issues um, that may arise with our presence. And agencies are really embracing now DOI's presence on, on these large infrastructure projects, giving them a level of comfort that we are finding issues in real time and able to address them and not waiting two, three years down the line to say, um, you know, these are issues that we found. And at that point, you have to try to recoup the money that may have been lost to the city. Um, and so even the agency's cooperation makes it a lot easier now for the vendors to get on board and really utilize DOI and address any concerns with us before they decide to make any decision going forward on the project. When a monitorship starts, in a perfect world, the construction goes on. Let's say it's a three-year job. They finish the job in three years. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets arrested. And we would like to think that in some part that our monitorship, the presence is deterring criminal activity. The presence is keeping them on time to get the job done efficiently and to stick to their timelines. Sometimes it's hard to quantify the cost side of it. You know, was that proactive monitorship worth it? And we think it is. And we've certainly seen it in jobs where literally the monitorships pay for themselves. 
The construction world is really big for us. Um, there's a lot of trends relating to prevailing wage, MWBE fraud, safety concerns, and just quality assurance across the board. And so for us, a lot of our monitorships are housed in the construction world, but we are getting more non-for-profits um, in the program. We have a couple of IT programs that are active, and so it's, it's expanding, but construction is really the heaviest for us at this point. My name is Ralph Ayanuzzi. I am the Inspector General for the New York City Housing Authority. Primarily, uh, NYCHA uses monitors to oversee programs. There's one specific program that I can talk about today. It's known as Bond B. The reason why a monitorship was required in Bond B is born out of Bond A. It wasn't called that at the time. With both bonds, NYCHA was seeking to sort of reinforce the envelope, as they call it, the, the, the infrastructure of public housing, uh, the roofs, the bricks, the windows. The concept there is that if you, if you protect the exterior, then the interior will sustain longer. NYCHA was able to issue a bond through a financial institution for which the collateral was HUD, the United States Housing and Urban Development Department, a subsidy to NYCHA would, would ultimately be the collateral for this bond issuance. The program was not a success. It ran into overruns. It had a series of issues. DOI investigated it. We found that it needed a great deal of safeguards. The problem was with bond A, it wasn't so much the financial concept as much as it was sort of the planning and um, uh, sort of the implementation at, at the construction level where there was a series of, of missteps and I think principally they acquiesced too much power and authority to the actual construction managers of those projects and as a result there were overruns. Our series of recommendations ultimately led to HUD, quite frankly, giving our report um, its gravity and recognizing that what we were recommending is, uh, you know, is, is vital for the success of any subsequent program. And so when the Bond B was proposed, HUD went to NYCHA and said, you'll get this bond. We'll approve this concept only if you have in place a monitorship to ensure that what happened in Bond A doesn't happen again. They agreed. We hired the company. It was about a $500 million advance uh, of the subsidy. And it led to um, you know, a series of contracts throughout throughout the city to improve the infrastructure of the housing authority because we had the monitor there and there was congratulations all around the program ultimately did succeed it was on time on budget etc cetera, etc cetera. i do believe in part because of our involvement there were many many things that were discovered during the course of the program some criminal investigations were born out of discoveries made by the monitor um, small some large Many safety issues were identified by the monitor. I think most prevalent thing that we see on construction sites today is the exploitation of labor, whether it be wage or putting them in peril, not getting them proper training, asking them to do things that are against code. These things were found. There was a series of things that were discovered by the monitor, again, because they were there on a daily basis. And when they identified these things, they'd call us. We would work together. We were an aligned, unified force. And we were able to make uh, a series of, of successful investigations, including criminal prosecutions. To gain a perspective on how DOI's Integrity Monitorship Program has helped inspire other law enforcement organizations, we spoke with Robert Lafreniere, who's the commissioner of UPAC, Quebec's permanent anti-corruption unit, which found the Integrity Monitorship Program to be a valuable model.
My name is Commissioner Robert Lafrenière. I am in charge of the Unité Permanente Anti-Corruption in French, in English, UPAC. And every day we make the fight against the corruption and the collusion. The UPAC is a young and dynamic organization that was created by the government in Quebec in 2011. The mission and the unique structure of DOI greatly inspired UPAC's creation and work. The Integrity Monitor Program is well suitable for any anti-corruption organization in the world. UPAC has been inspired to implement an audit program and close control of the companies that wish to execute public work. We have a certification program given to business that show a high level of integrity in their practices. Our objective is not to arm the economic development, but rather to prevent fraud, waste, and abuse of public money. Nowadays, as you know, citizens pay a lot of taxes. I don't know in New York, but in Quebec, it's terrible. <laughs> so they must feel trust in their institutions and be convinced that their money is spent in a due way. Quebec gives annually over $10 billion of dollars in public contracts. So it's important that we continue to closely audit the contractors and the companies for potential corruption dangers. I believe the monitors, they are like watchdogs that will prevent fraud and other issues during the public project realization. This program is well fitted for anti-corruption organization that values the prevention work and the proactive methods to overcome public abuse and waste. All along the eastern seaboard. 66 million Americans are bracing for impact. Tropical force winds extend for 1,000 miles. Sandy is slamming ashore. The question is, how will New York City handle it? I would say one of the biggest monitor ships that we've had came after Hurricane Sandy. So I actually started with DOI during Hurricane Sandy, and the first day I was supposed to start, because a lot of the power was down throughout the city, I was actually working off-site at the time just to help um, with the situation at hand until I was able to actually report to my place of duty. Um, so that was a memorable first um, experience with DOI. There were over 20,000 residents who were affected by Hurricane Sandy. A lot of the homeless shelters and city shelters were flooded because people didn't have any place to go. Look, there's been a lot of post-Sandy construction projects. The first project was, was rapid repairs, and that was simply to allow people to stay in their homes after this massive storm had hit. Now, Tay and I had seen this firsthand. We were, we were out there with our monitor. We saw folks, elderly folks who lived in homes for 50 years who had no intention whatsoever to leave their home, regardless of what anybody told them. And that program was to address that. If they're going to stay there, we're going to make sure they have heat, hot water, uh, and electricity, and they can be safe. And I think the monitor on that job was such a factor in keeping people on point, keeping the job moving forward, making sure things were done properly. It was a real safety issue, and we saw it. I mean, we saw the countless homes where people just wanted to stay in their home, and within months, you know, people had electricity, hot water, heat, they never had to leave. That was, you know, one of the most impactful uh, ones that I had seen, and it was such a short monitorship. It was only a matter of months, but so much work and effort went into getting folks through the winter to make sure they were safe. 
the goal of the Build It Back program was basically to expand upon rapid repair. So now that homeowners are able to reside temporarily in their homes, what is the city going to do? And so the Build It Back program essentially allowed for long-term repairs, expanding upon those kind of basic emergency needs and rehabilitating the home when there were kind of moderate damages to the home or elevating the home to make it more resilient for future storms. Or if the home was substantially damaged, demolishing the whole thing and and giving homeowners newly constructed properties. How did DOI get involved with uh, rapid repairs and build it back? DOI was involved at the onset of the rapid repairs program when the city was trying to figure out the best approach. And I think that was really, really important. And to be present at the onset of such a project really allowed us to find the major issues early on in the program. A month after implementation, the monitors found that contractors were overbilling on items installed in the home. For example, electrical wire and conduit, light switches. There was nothing really holding these contractors accountable. It was a massive effort on behalf of the city and DOI to really be able to monitor all the construction activity going on simultaneously throughout the five boroughs. What kind of things do, do uh, integrity monitors and, and DOI investigators when they go out onto these IM sites with Build It Back and, and when rapid repair was going on, what, what were they looking for? The scope in general of the integrity monitors tend to be broad as far as construction is concerned. You know, we do random site visits. We check for the presence of contractors, the delivery of materials, making sure that the contractors are being paid properly on these sites. And if there's any quality assurance or safety issues, Basically, overall, it is ensuring that the contractors and city employees are adhering to the contract outlining the services that they're supposed to provide. In addition to that, our goal is really to look at it from a different lens. We're looking at it from a fraud, waste, and abuse perspective, um, which is quite different from quality assurance. So when we're doing our audits, we're not simply looking at whether or not the contractors were paid the amount that they were supposed to receive, but if there's any mismanagement that's being done or if there's any oversight as far as overbilling is concerned or billing for items outside of the scope of work that's outlined in the contract. And so we're really looking at it, again, from a different lens and ensuring that in addition to being in compliance with the contract, there's no misconduct being done um, on behalf of the contractors or the city employees for that matter. So what effect the DOI's integrity monitors have on rapid repairs and build it back? To answer that question, we spoke with DOI Commissioner Mark Peters and the Director of the Mayor's Office of Housing and Recovery, Amy Peterson. So the Build It Back program and rapid repairs before that are both federally funded programs aimed at helping individual homeowners recover from Hurricane Sandy. So this is unique in that it's helping um, to build people's homes, and that's something that the city's not used to doing. Both the Rapid Repair Program and Build It Back 
were some of the most ambitious government building programs in recent memory. After the devastation of Hurricane Sandy, the city embarked on what is really the first of its kind program to do massive rebuilding of large numbers of really devastated areas. Whenever you're going to be spending the kinds of money that we're talking about here, you want to have integrity monitors in place to make sure that the money ends up where it should. And so the Department of Investigation was tasked by the city with putting in place those integrity monitors. For rapid repairs, it was a lot of work that was done very quickly to help homeowners get back into their homes and to have heat and hot water and all the things you need. And early on, with the integrity monitors, we were able to identify places where contractors needed to better manage how they were reporting certain things. And so a lot of the lessons we learned, even from the integrity monitors and the work they were doing on rapid repairs, transferred over to Build It Back. When I first started working with the program, we had gone through um, an intensive case management period. So we hadn't even gotten to the construction part, right? No construction had started, no checks had been issued, but we'd been doing case management. And The benefit of having the integrity monitors is they were actually able to even look at case management and how we had done that and help us make recommendations and figure out how to do that better. There should be public support for the idea of a government coming in after natural disasters and doing this kind of work. And in order to build up that public support so that when there is another natural disaster, we get that public support again, We need something like integrity monitors so the public has confidence. And that public confidence is important not only to getting this done, but going forward to make sure there continues to be public support for this kind of incredibly important work. Recently in Staten Island, two Build It Back applicants were charged in a criminal complaint related to falsifying their application and claiming that their home in the Build It Back program was in fact their primary residence and actually they had abandoned the home months before the storm in 2012. The couple received over $750,000 in assistance from the program. They were able to receive a brand new home, and they were already living in a different location prior to the storm. So they weren't displaced, even though they claimed that to the program. It's really important for applicants to consider the consequences for making such false statements because the cost of it and the repercussions of it in the program is fairly high. Typically, DOI looks at the vendor community, consultants, contractors actually providing goods and services to the city and the city employees who are actually implementing these programs. What was unique in this instance is we were seeing a lot of issues with applicants in the program actually receiving cash assistance and construction services and taking advantage of the opportunity to get benefits when they weren't entitled to it. You know, I think when the program first started, uh, there were visions that, you know, we would have monitors on this job and the vast, vast majority of the time would be spent looking at contractors and work that was being done in the field through construction on homes. You know, I think when the program started, you know, there were about 20,000 plus applicants that applied to Build It Back. And that's what we geared up for. We geared up for construction of that many homes and how to monitor that. 
um, which is what we did during rapid repairs. But as the program unfolded, a lot of those applicants withdrew or for various reasons left the program. At the end of the day, a number of homes that were constructed was well under 8,000 that was either repaired or uh, rebuilt. You know, I think now as the program is coming near an end, you know, this is the opportunity for us to look back at, you know, maybe what was envisioned day one when this program was written up to, you know, how it ended uh, or how it will end in the very near future. And I think there's an opportunity for us to look at lessons learned, you know, things that, you know, we can do better um, as a city when future storms hit the city, lessons learned that we can uh, not only use for ourselves here in New York, that we can pass on to other cities and states and, quite frankly, any other countries that experience these types of storms. So, you know, that's something we're thinking about now and formulating. And, you know, we will have some something to say as far as lessons learned and things we think can be done better uh, when it comes to post-hurricane relief efforts. We anticipate this to be the last year of the integrity monitorship as far as monitoring the active construction. Oftentimes with integrity monitorships on proactive projects, the monitors are still present after construction has been completed because there are still auditing services that need to be provided. The city is still being billed for services that have already been provided. And so our presence may still be required to ensure that a sample of those requisitions built to the city are reviewed. And so we anticipate construction at least to be completed for 2017 with the wrap of the monitorship in 2018. If you are interested in providing integrity monitoring services to DOI, you can submit an expression of interest form, which can be found on our website, nyc.gov DOI. Applications are accepted on a continual basis. You can also call DOI's Vendor Integrity Unit at 212-825-5918 for more information. Bribery and corruption are a trap. If you witness municipal corruption, report it to DOI at 212-3-NYC-DOI or on our website at nyc.gov DOI. To stay up to date on our latest episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes. To learn more about the Department of Investigation, visit us on the web, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Twitter at DOI News.